the message and some of us just being here with others but I think that's what's so amazing about the community worshiping together is it's not like every single thing is for for me you know it's all for us but the music that's what gets me all right so today is Sanctity of Life Sunday um that is uh it if you don't know what that is because some people don't uh, January 22nd, 1973 was when the Roe versus Wade decision legalized abortion in America. So then in 1984, Ronald Reagan um, established this as the Sanctity of Life Sunday as a national holiday day in the church um, on the 11th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade. It's to celebrate all stages of life. Um, today we're kind of focusing on one, but it is all of them. It's just there's not enough time in one one you know 30 minute block to talk about all of life um and what that means um is to celebrate those who who were born to us and will be born to us and to commemorate those who have died um as a result of abortion since the roe versus wade decision in 1973 59,712,425 babies have been um killed in abortion um so the first thing we look at when we're talking about abortion which is a very heavy topic and one that a lot of times we don't want to talk about because it's it's polarizing it's now it is i don't know why it would be polarizing inside the church but it is um we don't want to talk about things that make us uncomfortable and so i'm here to talk about things that make you uncomfortable um (laughs) so is god pro-life is pro-life really the biblical choice is can pro-choice be the biblical choice is is it does it have to be pro-life so to me it's kind of a funny question because god's the creator and sustainer of all life and so it's kind of funny um when we look at this we can't simply look at one verse there's not i tried there's not a single verse this is my bible by the way i know it doesn't look like one but that is i tried to find a single verse in here that was like god says thou shalt not abort it's not in there because it's a cultural topic and so as with most cultural topics we have to look at who god has revealed himself to be in his word and what that says about the topic who like who he is tells us what he thinks and so in genesis 1 chapter 27 uh, by the way, you may want to write these down. I'm putting all, I put all of them up here for you because there were so many that I was going to be going through that it was going to take a long time for everybody to look them all up. But you may want to write them down so you can go back and look at them in context later. Um, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So we see here that God is the creator of life. The whole life thing. That's his plan. This is his creation. Um, in Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 7, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you crowned him with glory and honor, and you have given him dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. God has made us like himself. He's given us all things. He really thinks highly of his final creation. He really likes us. Um, John chapter 10, 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came, and this is Jesus talking, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is clearly for life. Uh, He wants us to have life and have it abundantly. And in that verse, you can also gather that anything that takes away or destroys life isn't of God. You can go read the whole thing in context if you would like to make sure I'm not extrapolating something that isn't there. Um, (laughs) But for me, I feel like God made it clear he's for life. He made life. He created our lives. He's for us. 
Um, so someone's, someone to argue about when is life a life? At what point in the process does the human become an actual man? In 1829, the widely accepted version of that was that you could not perform an abortion after quickening. Uh, quickening is the time when a woman first feels the baby move inside her. Uh, but, but they quickly came to see, as we would, that that's kind of just an arbitrary cutoff point because it varies so much from woman to woman. Some women feel a baby move at 10 weeks. Some women don't feel it until 22 weeks. You know, if you have a placenta that's attached to the front, you're not going to feel it for a long time. If you have multiples, you're going to feel it sooner. So it, it all kind of just varies depending on person to person. And so it's not really a good cutoff or an adequate cutoff or any type of line that's, you know, any standard. Um, so now we say, well, we focus on the heartbeat, meaning the moment of life, which would be about three weeks after conception, which is about five weeks pregnant. Because in pregnancy, they count the two weeks before you get pregnant as part of your pregnancy, even though you aren't yet pregnant. It's just how they do. Um, that varies, but, you know, that's what they do. Anyway, so let me, uh, let's see. 12 to 24 hours after a woman ovulates, if conception occurs, the whole code for the person is written. Um, so even before there's a heartbeat, everything is already there, boy or girl. At that one moment, those tiny cells that are too small to see, everything's already there what color hair that they're going to have, what color eyes they'll have, the length of their fingers, if you know their ring finger is going to be longer than their middle finger. All that's already decided at that moment. Their height, can they, if they're going to be able to curl their tongue, if their hair is going to be straight or curly, um, are their ears going to be attached at the lobe or not? Like All of that's already written. God already sees every single tiny detail in the moment of conception. Everything that that person will be is already there in those 46 chromosomes. The heart's not yet beating, but everything that that person is, is already written. So, God saw that and he said, he made that in his image and he said that it was very good. God sees life as a blessing and not a curse. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. In Genesis 15, if you were to go back and read that, uh, you would see that that. Abraham is a very blessed man. He has everything. And he tells God, what good is all this stuff if I don't even have a son to pass it on to? In times of trial, we see God historically responding by sending a child. Um, You see it in Moses. You know, Israel's in captivity. They need someone to to lead them out of captivity. A baby's born. Uh, You see it in Samuel. You know, Hannah's throwing herself on the altar She's infertile, and what do we see God do? Bless her with a son who will help be a speaker for his people. Uh, we see it in John the Baptist. He sends a baby to make the way of the Lord, and we see it in Jesus himself. You know, we need to be redeemed. What does God do? Send a baby. Um, we see God working in the lives of those that are still in the womb. In Jeremiah 1.5 we read, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, and I appointed you to the nations. In Luke 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 13 through 15, we read, But the angel said to him, that is Zechariah, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he'll be great uh, before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. We see it over and over again. 
that God is talking about the lives of people who are unborn. He is working in them, and he is with them, and he has plans for them. Uh, We also see over and over again that God condemns uh, anyone who sheds innocent blood. In Ten Commandments, one of them is thou shalt not kill. Now, we being the bent sinners that we are, uh, we, we want to sit around and argue over who a person is. Uh, thou shalt not kill, but yeah, but who? And what exactly is murder entail? Instead of just saying, God said don't kill, so I'm just going to not kill anybody. You know? But we want to argue. Uh, in 1856, we saw that the Supreme Court was having to decide if slaves were a per- would be a, considered a person or not. They... Then, that was the Dred Scott case, decided that he was not a person. He was property. And so we today would think that that's completely ridiculous and that, of course, he's a person. But that's how culture changes, is some court makes a decision and everyone accepts it. But we can turn the tide this time. We can be the ones pushing for the shift at this time um, that persons in utero are persons. All right, so what does any of this have to do with me? We're sitting here. None of us are, well, I'll say none of us are pregnant. I think there are some, somebody, Rachel's back there. Um, <laughs> and so we think this doesn't apply to me. This, this isn't my thing. Okay, abortion isn't new. While we mark Roe versus Wade at the beginning, the truth would be that it's been around for a very, very, very long time. In fact, before Roe versus Wade, abortion was legal in the state of Georgia uh, in the cases of rape, incest, or health of the mother. So even before that, it was legal in our state. Um, The difference is that in our modern times, the church's acceptance of abortion and the issues around abortion, the church is no different from the people outside of it when it comes to life and God giving us life. Uh, We have conformed to our culture instead of the culture being positively impacted by us. Uh, You might want proof for that. So... Studies show that as many as 70% of abortions in our country are performed on self-professing religious women. 37% of those are Protestant. That's what we are. 28% of them are Catholic. That means that 64% of women in our country that are having abortions confess that Jesus is Lord and claim him as their Savior. That's over half. And also, though it appears... 37, 28, it appears that Protestants have more abortions per live birth. The actual statistics would be that Catholics have a 22% abortion rate and Protestants have a 15% abortion rate. Uh, and the over, nation, overall national average is 17.4% of babies that are conceived are aborted. Um, and so we can see that Catholics have a higher than national average rate of aborting their babies and that Protestants are getting close. Um, so there's a recent Gallup poll that showed that most people in America are neither fully pro- pro-life or pro-choice. The official split is 46% of Americans are pro-life, 47% are pro-choice. But most people find themselves somewhere in the middle. Men seem to be the most middle ground because they see this as a women's issue, which is part of the reason why I'm standing here. Um, <laughs> 62% of Americans believe that abortion is okay if it's performed in the first trimester. Even though 46% say they're pro-life, 62%, so over half of Americans say that it's fine as long as it's before that 14-week cutoff. Okay, so let me tell you what happens in the first trimester because some of us not very sciencey, you know, and so we kind of just like, oh, yeah, it's just a bunch of cells. So here's what happens in the first trimester. 
12 to 24 hours past ovulation, two cells meet and form a zygote. This zygote has the entire DNA code of who the, who the person will be, as we already talked about. A week later, the zygote implants inside the mother. Two weeks after the conception, the baby is the size of a poppy seed, so then you can actually see it. It's no longer this invisible thing. Three weeks after, a heart is formed and beating. Five weeks after conception, the baby is the size of a blueberry. So you're talking about rapid growth, because in two weeks we went from to um, At seven weeks after conception, which would be nine weeks pregnant, all the baby's essential physiology is in place. The heart, the kidneys, the liver, the lungs, and while all might completely develop, the physiology is created at that point and will continue to mature until birth. At 13 weeks pregnant, 11 weeks after the baby's conceived, the tiny person now has fingerprints. Like, you know, can be found in a national database, fingerprints. <laughs> all of this happens so rapidly, but at the end of the first trimester, you have this tiny human with all their inward parts formed, with a beating heart, sucking their thumb, and flexing their muscles. And 91.6% of abortions take place during this time. This is actually a picture of the baby toward the end of the first trimester at around 13 weeks pregnant, so 11 weeks after conception. Clearly, uh, I feel like the church needs to do some soul searching. We can't say that God says that life is good, but it's okay for us to end life. And we can't say that Jesus redeems us from death, but we're okay with the death of babies. And we can't say that God is the creator and sustainer of life, but it's okay for us to radically disregard it. Psalm, 120, or Psalm 19, 7 through 11 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them is great reward. It isn't simply that we don't know the heart of God on this matter. We just don't want to know. I feel like he's made it abundantly clear who he is and what he's about. And we just don't want... It's too difficult for us to be okay with that now. In 2008 which is uh, the most recent data I could find because medical statistics are slow to come out and they're voluntary and so they're slow to be compiled. But 2008, Georgia was the 14th in the nation in the number of abortions performed. Cobb County, which is where we are right now, is number 11 in the state uh, for the highest number of abortions in our state. Uh, the number one is our neighbor, Fulton County. Uh, in 2013, there were 130,541 live births in the state of Georgia. Topher, Leah, and John Reed were among those. In that same year, there were 27,456 babies aborted in Georgia. That is a 17.4% abortion rate for us. In Cobb County, where we live, the abortion rate was per live baby was 21.4%. Now, we have some basic assumptions about who gets abortions, and it isn't us, and it isn't people like us. We think that they are young, unwed mothers who live in poverty, right? We comfort ourselves and think that rape, incest, and the health of the mother are the reasons that people abort babies. However, the actual statistics are going to surprise you. 
uh, and I'm going to verify this because the actual statistics surprised Adam, and he made me cite sources to him because he was like, there's no way. But I have all the data documents if you'll like for me to send them to you. You just get to sort through them like I did. So 2013, uh, less than 1% of the abortions were on girls that were under 15. 3% of abortions were done on 15 to 17 year olds. Women who were 18 to 24 were the majority at 38%. Women 25 to 29 made up 26%. Uh, women who were 30 to 34 made up 18%. Women 35 to 39 made up 10%. Women 40 to 44 made up 3%. And you can see that the 15 to 17 year olds and the 40 to 44 year olds have the same percentage, but there were actually more abortions done of women 40 to 44 than there were teenagers. And then women over 44 made up less than 1%. So the good news is that overall abortion rates are down. Uh, from 2012 to 2013, which like I said, I know it's 2017, but Medical statistics are slow to be compiled. There's lots of them to go through, and so they take time for them to compile. So 2013 is the most recent data that's available this year. Um, we saw 5% decrease from 2012 to 2013 overall. That's good. That's huge. Like, clearly God is working. The bad news is that one particular age group up here, it's going up. Women in their 30s. That should surprise you, because we think 30-somethings are supposed to have their life together, right? They're not supposed to be the young, unwed mothers. In addition to this, there are surprising uh, reasons. So 98.3% of abortions were elective. 0.3% were in the cases of rape. 0.03% were in the case of incest. 0.1% were for the life of the mother, 0.8% were for the health of the mother, and those reasons range from cancer and cystic fibrosis to gestational diabetes and morning sickness. 0.5% were due to health of the baby, and that ranged from issues like Down syndrome or issues that were incompatible with life to women feeling like the baby might not be healthy because of drug, alcohol, or birth control use in early pregnancy. Are you still comforted, <laughs> thinking that the abortions are done for good reason? Um, now I'm going to make you really uncomfortable if you weren't already. Um, so in 2004, there was a study done that was actually intended to provide demographic information about abortion. It was not pro-life. It was actually done to help decide like where to put abortion clinics and the needs of abortion uh, in our country. So it's called the Guttermacher Study. The sample size is about 1,200 participants, and the ages were similar to, like, the national ranges, so I felt like it was a good, broad thing. Um, so they, they did a study to find out why. Why were women having abortions beyond just this? Like, 98.3% elective, but why? 74% of those women said that the baby would dramatically change their life. How many of you have had a baby, and it didn't dramatically change your life? 73% of the women said that they could not afford a baby. 48% said that they were aborting because they were having relationship problems. There was another study, in, uh, BMC study in 2013 that got even more detailed responses. And these, it was extremely surprising. Most of the women cited several reasons that there wasn't just one thing that they could point to and say, oh yeah, that's the reason. It was kind of like a conglomeration of, well, it's this and this and this. 
And so they kind of overlapped a little bit. But 60% of them were actually low income and 38% had no other children. That means that almost two-thirds of women getting an abortion, getting an abortion were already mothers. Not had had an abortion before, but had children, like live children. 40% stated that it was for financial reasons. Uh, no insurance was one of the big financial stresses. 0.4% aborted because they did not want to be on government assistance. 12% aborted because they wanted to give the child a better life than they could provide. So no life is better than whatever life they have. 4% said adoption wasn't an op option because it was too difficult emotionally. 5% said it was because they lacked the support that they needed. And 2% said that they didn't want to be judged for having a baby. 36% of the respondents said that it was just timing. 2% of those were just too busy. 2% were too old, they said. Most of them said that it was a matter of future goals and plans, career goals, college goals. Um, and then there were a few that said that they didn't have enough time off of work for maternity leave. 31% said that it was partner related. And of those, only 3% uh, of those, it was for spousal abuse or abuse from the partner. 29% said that they got an abortion because they needed to focus on their other children. Of these, 67% said the reason that they needed an abortion because of their other children was because they already felt overwhelmed with parenting. And then 1% of everyone that responded, it was legal reasons um, or um, they were afraid to give birth. Um, so again, what does this have to do with you? Um, it's kind of a you didn't do any of that, right? Like, you didn't decide any of that. So, but do you ever feel, do you ever wonder why women, women would feel like they can't afford a baby? Could it be in part because of our expectation that anything below upper middle class isn't worth it? Could it be because they felt judged needing government assistance or help from other people? Are we the ones judging? We say that we aren't, but... How many times have you heard a Christian person give the advice to a newly married couple, wait to have kids until you're ready? So what does that imply if you have kids when you're not ready? That you shouldn't? But God said kids are a blessing. Or you've heard people say people shouldn't have more children than they can afford. What kind of message does this send about how we view children and how we view motherhood? It's not for everyone. It's for someone who's ready at a certain time and can do it a certain way. You can't, also, you can't be pro-life without also being pro-mom. As Christians, we have historically not only cared for the orphan, but also the widow. We're to help care for these women, not just until they make the right decision, but beyond. We need to help them to make the right decision, an easier one, carry the burden for our sisters in need. Being pro-life is, at its heart, at its heart, loving our neighbor. All these statistics are not so that you can think down on these people. I was talking to the kids before church. Just because we make bad choices and we do bad things, it doesn't make us a bad person. Sometimes people do bad things because they're scared, right? Or they're confused. Or they're afraid. And they don't know what to do. So it's not to look down on them. It's not to belittle their feelings. It's not to belittle their experiences because I'm sure that we all have felt that huge financial burden of I'm going to have a baby, now what? Like, 
especially men, men go through that financial crisis of, I don't have the money for this. So we know, we know what that feeling is. I just wanted to challenge you as to who you think these people are and why you think they do what they do. And also, knowing why gives us ways that we can help. It gives us things that we can do to challenge our own personal mindsets, to challenge our own personal prejudices, and get out there and love people like Jesus loves them and help them instead of just condemning them and judging them because, as we saw, judging them is one of the reasons why they choose to abort their babies. So some of this is in changing how we interact with people and how we express our views. I'm not going to get political, and some of you think this entire thing has been political, uh, but I'll maintain that it's moral, if this has been, it's moral and it's biblical. But it's very easy to get personal when we try to express political opinions. Women in these situations, they don't need our judgment, they need our love. Um, like the woman at the well, when Jesus found the woman at the well, they don't need somebody to tell them how their world should be and what mistakes they have made. All they need is for us to love them and give them grace. This includes women who will face it and those who have already faced it, no matter what choice that they did, that they made. There are moms in our community who have had abortions or will consider them in the future. Yesterday, there was the huge women's march in Atlanta. Like, Yes, you saw the women in our community. They're not bad people. They're making bad choices because they don't know. And how are they going to know unless you tell them? Uh, there are single women, married women, women who are already moms, first-time moms. They're going to come up with this decision in the future. And these are people in our community. They're our neighbors. They're our friends. They're the cashier at the grocery store. They're people we know and people we love. We need to change our minds to the mind of Christ. And we need to see people how Jesus sees them. And we need to show them compassion and love and grace. Now is the part where you realize why I'm here. Um, I'm sure that y'all were confused. Adam didn't want a day off. Um, and he wasn't, he wasn't too scared to talk about abortion. Um, he would. Uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's such a heated women's issue. You can hear it from a woman, the, the message of life, and a woman who has a calling. So this year, with the support of our church board, we're launching uh, what we're calling Faith Family Services. Uh, often, we see the needs of others and we get overwhelmed by the vastness of it all. We can't fix the whole problem, so we just want to sit and do nothing. There are several organizations in our community that exist as crisis pre pregnancy centers. It's crisis pregnancy intervention. They do wonderful work. We should be praying for them. Um, however, once they go beyond that initial step of, oh, yes, I'm keeping a baby, there's nothing that gets them beyond that. They're kind of dropped there. Um, there are government programs, but even applying to those can be really overwhelming. If you've ever walked through the steps of applying to any government assistance program, it is loophole upon loophole upon loophole, and you've got to jump through. All these random hoops, it's hard. It is not easy to be on government assistance. 
let me just tell you. Um, so some of you have been around here long enough to remember the Karen Black ministry. Uh, it was a wonderful ministry um, who took mothers who were looking to abort for financial reasons and they helped meet their needs so they could become mothers. They provided housing, they provided education, they helped them with transportation, they helped them fill out all those forms and things to get government assistance. But it, it was a really great program and it was a really great between the gap program. However, it no longer exists because that costs a lot of money to be housing, education, transportation for that many women. And it kind of, you had to limit the number of people that you were able to reach because of the amount of money it costs per person to get through. We saw women helped, we saw kids helped. Some of you remember Monica. We know that those things help people. Um, we are not in a position that we can do that. We can't do that much. But we can do more than nothing. What we can do as Faith Family Services will be support the mothers and the families in our community by giving them people to rely on, giving them a support system. Um, I would love to see it grow to more, but right now, initially, the focus is going to be education, mainly on childbirth education and education and caring for a baby. So why childbirth education? Uh, women who go through childbirth empowered become mothers who feel empowered. Feeling prepared for childbirth uh, itself will, can help decrease postpartum depression and can help give, give women a solid base of confidence as they step out into motherhood. It's also the context that we can build community and bridges. Um, I, I think those of you who were around when the Karen Black ministry was going and we were helping Monica, know that Monica got a lot just out of us being there. The support, the community. It wasn't just, oh, we paid for an apartment and oh, you know, she was going to school. It, it was a lot, I mean, that was great and helped her significantly, but a lot of it was she had us to love her and to love her babies. Hopefully these bonds will help make the transition into motherhood for the first time or the fifth time easy and joyful for them. Uh, we're just trying to bridge a gap between keeping a baby and raising a child. Um, we want to be there showing women love and support during their pregnancy. And we're going to help solve one of the problems of women feeling judged and alone. So how can you help? Uh, first, we need your prayer. The families in this community need your prayer. Imagine how our community would change if we all set our hearts to praying for the families, mothers, fathers, and children in our community. Instead of seeing it as us versus them, we would bear them to the foot of the cross. Additionally, intensive prayer for others will help soften your heart towards them. Um, we'll find that our hearts will soften and we will start to feel the pain and the fear that they feel but will also be better able to share the love and the hope that they can have with them. We will see the vision for their future and hopefully be able to pass that on to them. Uh, second, you can give. It's going to cost money to get childbirth educators certified. It's going to cost money to provide literature and such for classes. Ministry just costs money. We all know it. It's <laughs> the way it works. Um, hopefully, because this is such a lower scope and most of it will be time and volunteers it's not going to cost as much as something as big as the Karen Black ministry costs um, we're also going to be needing the volunteers um, 
once we begin classes, even before, we're going to need help in creating a community around these women and around these families. I'm not going to assume all of them are going to be single. I'm not going to assume that all of them will be in abject poverty. What matters is just building a community and a sense in our community that life matters and that mothers are worth investing in. We may not be able to do it all, but we can love. So, and if, if you are interested in that volunteer aspect, um, I have the Daily Grind uh, scheduled, the conference room scheduled for February 10th. I'll put an event on Facebook for you so you don't have to remember all this now. February 10th at 7 p.m. Um, so you can come and learn more about the particulars and what you can do and how you can help. Right now, um, as of right now, the board has approved Faith Family Services to start. Adam is working on the website, uh, and I am getting ready to begin my own childbirth education training. So, as we close our service today, we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're um, not going to play. Um, we're going to all come down to the altar. Adam's going to lead us in prayer. We're going to pray intently, intensely, uh, for the babies that are going to be born into our congregation this coming year. Uh, for the lives that God has blessed us with and the children that we already have. For the 59 million babies who have already been lost to abortion. And as our church, as we aim to shift the culture of our community to one of life and love. So, if y'all will come, and then Adam can lead us.